Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And welcome to the Fantasy Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your imaginary host, Terence Taylor, that little voice in the back of your head. Fantasy Magazine is edited by Christy Ant and Arlie Sorg. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. In this episode, listen to 10 Steps to a Whole New You by Tanya Lieberg, copyright 2020, narrated by the author. Tanya Liburd shares a birthday with Simeon Daniel and Ray Bradbury, which may tell you a little something about her. She's a 2017 and 2018 Riesling nominee and has been longlisted in the 2015 Carter v. Cooper Vanderbilt Exile Short Fiction Competition. Her work is used in E.C. Shaw's workshops and it's an honorary dues black horror course at UCLA, which featured Jordan Peele as a guest lecturer, as examples of code switching. She is also the senior editor of Abyss and Apex magazine. You can find her blogging at www.spiderlily.com. That's Spiderlily with two L's. So, get ready to receive. We've got a fantasy for you. Ten Steps to a Whole New You by Tanya Liburd. Number one, be unaware that the wolf was presenting itself to you in sheep's clothing. It began, as most things do, simply enough, in a simple neighborhood on the edge of a town, too urban to be rural, too rural to be urban. Women grew old. Some women age with their children, grandchildren, family around them. Some grew old alone, isolated, bitter. Others might grow old and die sick, in pain. Then there was you. You was the woman who managed to live on she own, but who not quite there, harmless, the mad woman on the street. It was an ordinary life you live. A couple of men, you work jobs until the illness start up. You wouldn't be able to live by yourself sometime, but right now, you try to enjoy your life and not embarrass the neighbors. Down at the end of the street was this new neighbor, Francine, one who keeps to herself ever since her husband gone and dead almost half a year ago. No one knew how he died, she ain't seen. The both of you had evening get-togethers, you and your achy hips, and your care walk how you used to, but she walking sprite sprite, that's how she starts she trickery on you. Number two, allow yourself to be seduced. One evening, when Francine was over, you're busy trying to crochet a doily. You used to enjoy it before, but now you're having trouble focusing. She starts by acting as if she's talking about she old folklore studies. 
She tell you she studied some liberal arts at UE, but the folklore that interests she the most is the one about the sukiya. She quotes to you, If the sukiya draws out too much blood from her victim, it is believed that the victim will die and become a sukiya herself, or else perish entirely, leaving a killer to assume her skin. She asks you if you believe in the supernatural. You say you ain't know. The older one gets, the more one know, and questions start coming to mind. She say if the supernatural is real, then the other things can be true, you know? You say like what? I ain't she. She say like cures for diseases and? You say and? She say imagine if there were ways to fix what ails you. What would you do if you were able to fix your mind? You pretending to have a thicker skin than you do right then. So you say to she, cool and calm, it would be nice. You ask she if she would have kids. If eyes were windows to the soul, you see in she own pain, longing, and something else deeper, curious. You should have taken it as a warning. But even in your best days, your mind not completely sound. And the clearest sight is hindsight. You'd have only so much you could get from them honey-toned eyes. Number three. Don't resist the carrot that's dangled enticingly before you. The next time she see you, she say to you, As Elise, I have something to tell you. What you say? She says she is so girl. What you say? Then you laugh. No. <laughs> Good one, friends. She fingers start to glow and she burn a circle into the wood at the edge of the arm as she chair. All the hairs all over you stood an edge, boy. You find yourself standing up. She calm, calm. All she do is tilt she head, gesture with she other hand and say to you, don't worry. Come on, take a seat. She say how she mean to help you. How the discussion all you had the other day could be as true for you as it was already for her. She say how she ain't have no aching joints and she mind clear, clear. She say how all you could talk more, but it have to be at her place. How the old folk tales have it wrong. You still in shock. You think you say okay, sure. She get up to go and say, all you will talk tomorrow. She say, see you tomorrow as Elise from your gate. You should have run then. But your poor brain, not only still processing what you just see, it was also buzzing with possibilities. Number four. See the truth and wonder. The power went out. Neighbors come out on the porch and start in telling each other hello over their walls. If you live with a grandmother or your parent wanted to, you could get to hear some Nancy stories about a Nancy, the Spider-Man, or ghost stories. Children trying hard, hard to do homework with a kerosene lamp, although they could tell the teacher that it was too dark to do anything. 
but not you. You iron fancying house at the end of the road. You damn well know this sudden darkness. People getting catch off guard and everything was perfect cover for a sukuyan. And you see, inside she house, a light that was too bright, too huge to be caused by candlelight. It starts off, then it grow brighter and brighter. It moves from the bedroom window to the back of the house, then out a window, past the backyard, plants, and fly up into the night, disappearing quick, quick. Your breath catching your throat. You leave your porch and go back into your house. Number five, take the challenge like a fool. The next night, you close the gate to your house behind you and you go down to Francine's. You walk through the gate up to the door and knock on it. You're wondering if the supernatural real as you wait for Francine to open the door. She welcomes you barefoot and she asks you to remove your slippers at the door. She place was all light wood to almost match she honey complexion. It was neat in all the nooks and crannies, but yours wasn't. There was stew chicken with rice and peas and coleslaw and a glass jug of soil sweating and ready for drinking. It make you feel thirsty and you had to try to not smack your lips. She said to have a seat and all you start talking about the weather and because it was carnival time, your favorite Calypsonians Singing Francine's my favorite Calypsonian, she said to you. And who might win road march? And who was your favorite mass band? And if you're going to go to Port of Spain to see the carnival parade or watch it on TV? She lived better than you, but she wants you for a friend. And it looked like she's just on the verge of making an offer. An offer you just might take. Number six, see the truth, but go because you're lonely and want a friend. The next time you visit she, you tell yourself you're going for the promise of companionship, for friendship bonding, for camaraderie. You are being drawn towards the promise of freedom, of renewal. You two had a nice dinner, or you drink some of the passion fruit that grew in in she backyard. All you're talking, nice, nice. Then, at one point, fancying voice go deep. You're getting mesmerized, and you're feeling like you're going to go unconscious. You fight it. The air seemed to turn into some kind of tapestry of flames in the wake of her fingers. You're not sure what you're seeing is real. You see she tongue flick out of she mouth. It was thick and black and all of a sudden you're smelling wet ashes. You're feeling the heat radiating from she body through your shirt. And she, she pushed your violent breath into you. Your body go limp. What was happening? You're hearing lay back on the floor. That's right. And oh yes. You feel so good, Aselis, but you could do nothing. Then, you couldn't fight unconsciousness no more. 
everything just go black. Number seven, be the living embodiment that hindsight is twenty twenty. These are the things that you remembered from when you rose from the dead, having been laid to rest at home, that you had a new strength and agile hips, and all your old creaks and pains were gone, gone, that now you had clarity because the fog lift that gone too, none of them scatter feelings or thoughts, that now you know that the folk tales were true. And that Francine knew it, down to every last detail. That Francine's words, when she was satisfying herself on you, they're like hungry, fat mosquitoes in your mind now, buzzing, buzzing in your ears. That you're feeling unclean, remembering. The rush of your new body, the mightiness of you as you go into she house. Splinters spray all over the floor. Some joke in your hand after you smash she door down and she wreck of a smile when she trying to make nice nice with you. That she tried to use the bond between you but the advantage she had at manipulating you done gone. That you could smell she fear as you decide to call she sucking Francine from then on. Because she had liked the Calypsonian singing Francine so much. Bearing your fangs when she's still trying. But I make you. I give you a new life. All your strength and power. That she thought she could fool you by saying, Don't you see? The change has been good. I knew it would be good for you. That you damn well know she couldn't have known because she gambled on you. That you're still new to these things and you didn't recognize bloodlust yet and that you were confused about how far to go. How simple it was to just break she bones, to twist she body parts in ways they shouldn't, to satisfy a new hunger when you're draining she blood. That, after all of that, you still didn't feel clean even though you left she for dead. Number eight, think that vengeance is done. You could hear the talk starting and you know the neighbors spreading the word about what happened to your maker. Somebody come home and see the mashup daughter sunk in Francine's house. You didn't exactly do a quiet exit. In the depths of your own house, you chuckle. You're preparing to move. You know second Francine will heal supernaturally in front of all them doctors and nurses. She would become whole and then questions would start up. She would have to move too, even disappear. But you, you could still blend in, melt away, get out of sight. No one would really look for you. Your maker was one of them people with bad mind. People who put their smarts to sinister use like preying on the vulnerable, people like you, for their own ends. In a way, what you did to she was better than just killing her. Sucking Francine would have to explain, to hide you. You just packing your things quiet, quiet, and making your own plans to move on. Number nine, 
realize that you can't exactly go back to your old life. It hits you when you're home alone. You didn't know what to expect. Your humanity had not completely slowed off yet like oil off water. But something, something had started to build, like a slow burn. You don't know what it was deep inside. It come to your attention when you lick your lips when you're at a window. There was a late night breeze. You needed something, but the food and drink you tried earlier feel almost like sand on the tongue. You gripped the windowsill tight, tight. The moon did not call to you, but the night air did. You wanted to revel in it, bathe in it. View the world from above. You look behind you into your house. You're staring at your bedroom with some sort of new clarity. You make up your mind right then. That you're going to straighten the clothes hanging about. Fix the bed. Dust your dressing table. The entire place. Routine did not ease the slow burn that was starting to burn. Bright. Hot fast. You turn back to your bedroom window, just swallowing hard. You needed something and you're starting to realize what it was you needed soon. Number 10. Embrace the new you, taking to it like a hand to a glove. You could feel this new need pressing down on you. You are half drowning in it. You're taught back to all the old tales of what Asuka Yakovets in the night. You imagine feeding on blood, on life, and your heart beats so hard that the chest drum. And it didn't disturb you, not one bit. The thirst, the pain, the desire, each moment was like undiluted pleasure. To be honest, the old you felt like your skin, which right now is a cold tightness around you. The pain of your need was unbearable. You fell to the ground and hugged your knees. You tried to shut it out, but you couldn't. Resisting caused pain. The pain washed over you, drowning you. The thought of blood flowing down your throat made you moan. You were ready to bite into your own arm to get blood. You raised your head to the sky and screamed. It felt so good to let it out, as if it had been trapped in your chest for too long. It's your scream. You and your skin parted in a rush of release. Your heart was a song. At one with a slow burn within, you're gone white hot and bright. You don't recall leaving your house, but you do recall being one with the sky. Beyond your skin, the whole world was yours. Yours for the taking. Beyond the skin, you are fire. You are light. Beyond the skin, you must take life. You must take blood. You held life and death. The people on this street were too close to you to take. Not enough anonymity. And so you look further. You would feed. You would take. 
and you would revel in it. But for right now, you would fly. Welcome back. You've been listening to Tanya Lieberg narrating her story, 10 Steps to a Whole New You. We hope you enjoyed this offering. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or on the social media venue of your choice. Our editors are Christy Ant and Arlie Sorg. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Adamant Press. We publish Fantasy Magazine and this podcast for free, but please do consider our many subscription options or recurring patronage at fantasy-magazine.com support subscribe. And look for the Dystopia Triptych, a series of three original anthologies that explore three different phases of dystopia, before, during, and after. Edited by John Joseph Adams, Hugh Howey, and Christy Yant, it's available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook. To learn more, visit johnjosephadams.com dystopia. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the audio stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rudicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by Jim Freund, and our music was composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. I'm Terrence Taylor, and goodbye for now. From all of us at Fantasy Magazine. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.